Welcome back. You are listening to Nate the Hate on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Be sure to like the video and subscribe to the channel if you have not already. And with that, I'd like to welcome in my co-host, Modern Vintage Gamer. What's going on, Nate? Happy New Year. Happy 2024. It's great to be back. How, how are you going? I know we haven't been on for a couple of weeks. Did you have a good holiday? How was your New Year's? And tell me what you're looking forward to in 2024. It was a very pleasant holiday and a delightful new year. And you know what I'm looking forward to in 2024 is being able to connect, communicate, and entertain our audience and everyone who has supported the channel since its inception just about four years ago now. And that's what I'm looking forward to is growing the community and giving more to the community this year with high quality episodes that I hope everyone finds enlightening, entertaining, and just generally enjoyable. And that is my resolution to our fan base. Now, what are your some of your excitement and expectations for 2024? I think, um, honestly, Nate, uh, 2023 was a... It was a difficult year, I think, is a fair fair thing to say. It was a good year, but there was also a lot of stress, a lot of, uh, you know, just uh, it was all over the place. It was just up and down for me. Uh, I think this year what I'm looking forward to the most is really just kind of getting back into the groove. Like I feel like, um, you know, there was uh, just so much that happened last year. A lot of it was good. A lot of it was bad. Uh, I just want a lot of good things to happen this year. And I think it will. I think this year is uh, is going to be a, a good year and I'm looking forward to it. And the debut episode of 2024 is dedicated to Sketch Dog, whom generously donated $100 to support the channel. If you'd like to support the channel, we have a Streamlabs link in the description below. Donate any dollar amount, ask a question. We will answer it at the end of the episode. Donate $100 or more and we will dedicate the episode to you. And once again, today's episode is dedicated to Sketch Dog. And for the first episode of 2024, I wanted to start the year by giving some of our predictions and expectations for Microsoft and the Xbox Series line of hardware in the coming year because 2023 has just ended. And I quickly want to go over how Microsoft 2023 went for them. In our opinion, did the year live up to expectations? Where did Microsoft excel and where did they fall short? And I want to start with your opinion on where do you think Microsoft really found themselves in 2023 as we're able to quickly look back at the year they had? I think Microsoft had a pretty good 2023 overall, Nate. First of all, the elephant in the room is the ABK acquisition that was successfully closed at the end of last year. And that was something that obviously looked like at least for a a period of time where it may not have gone the way that Microsoft was looking for. I think um, it was, I believe, the FCC uh, appealed, and there was a, a period of time there where we felt like it was it may not may not happen, right? Um, but it did. So you gotta you gotta be very very happy if you're Microsoft uh, for that to happen. Starfield was another, obviously, a big game that released, and look. I don't want to talk about Starfield, Nate, uh, in this episode. We've we've talked about it before, <laughs> but I like Starfield. I don't understand why it gets so much hate. I really don't understand. I think a lot of it is, uh, I don't want to say Xbox tax because that's that's ridiculous. But I think a I think a lot of it is just 
it's just cool to hate on Starfield for whatever reason. I've 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 done two playthroughs of the game, and I like Starfield. I I thought it was a a great game. I think the only really low point for Microsoft last year was Redfall, and that was obviously a a stumble for them. It did not go the way that um, anyone and including themselves wanted it to go. So I think, you know, they started off the year very, very strongly as well with the developer direct. We also got Hi-Fi Rush. That was a very, very good uh, game that came from nowhere. We also got Forza as well, which was, I don't want to say it knocked it out of the park when it released because it definitely launched in a, a state that I would consider unfinished. Some people may think I'm crazy, but I felt like it came in a little bit hot. But look, overall, I think Microsoft Xbox had a pretty solid year last year. It was it was still very much a uh, part of that rebuilding process that they, they were trying to get with, you know, starting to bear some of the fruits of the acquisition from Bethesda, which we saw with a couple of those games, as mentioned. And of course, the ABK uh, thing at the end of last year. Look, it was a pretty Good year for Xbox, I felt like. Yeah, 2023 for the Xbox and Microsoft definitely had some high and low points. As you pointed out, the final acquisition of Activision Blizzard King being final Mm -hmm. was definitely one of their high points. Throughout the year, you definitely saw moments where Microsoft was very confident. And I would say that started the year in January with the developer direct, and it continued into the June showcase where they were able to headline with some major type of, you know, titles, be it Fable, Forza, Starfield, and beyond. And it really gave the Xbox fan a sense of confidence that Microsoft knows what they're doing with the brand. The low point, I would say, weren't so much the games themselves as maybe the realization that Microsoft is in a state of they're in a state of expansion with the Activision acquisition. And when you pair it with the Bethesda acquisition, it's very clear that Microsoft is committed to the Xbox brand and they want to continue to grow. But as it grows and evolves, that requires a bit of patience. And as this generation is now three years old, going into its fourth year, I think it's time for us to really just lay down the cards and accept the reality that this generation for the Xbox, as far as being competitive with the PlayStation 5 on a general, on a generation basis, is essentially over. Mm -hmm. The Xbox series is no longer going to be a one-to-one competitive threat to the PlayStation 5. The PlayStation 5 is going to dominate the remainder of this generation. And that is fine because it's clear with the way 2023 went that Microsoft is all about delivering quality with the brands that they have. They want to create interest with the IPs that they have now acquired with Activision and even going back to Bethesda. It's all about cultivating for the future. And as a fan of Xbox in 2024, Maybe this is a little disheartening to hear, and you can disagree with me. I just ask that you understand where I'm coming from here, is that 
by having titles like Starfield, even Redfall, Deathloop, Ghostwire Tokyo, Hi-Fi Rush, Forza Motorsport, and beyond, be it Fable, Perfect Dark, Gears of War, we have to accept the reality that at this point of the generation, we're very likely only to get one entry to some of these long-storied franchises, and that is okay. Mm -hmm. Because these are the building blocks for Microsoft to show we are committed to gaming. We're willing to resurrect some of these older IP like Fable so that you enjoy them this generation, even if it is towards the tailor end of the generation. But when it comes time for our next console in 2027, 2028, you know that we have interest in continuing these franchises. So when it comes time for Fable 2, it's not going to take us 10 years to resurrect. Ideally, we can get that sequel out in four to five years if it uses the same engine and technology that they are currently building. And even with Halo, 343 may have stumbled with the campaign of Halo Infinite, but the multiplayer is thriving. Oh, yeah. It's been two plus years since it launched, and it continues to grow and improve. And a significant percentage of Halo players have returned to the game Mm -hmm. in 2023 because they're sticking with it. They're listening to the community. They are putting in new maps, new modes, new weapons. And that is a great commitment to see from Microsoft with these types of IP. Yeah. So they're really kind of at that cultivating stage with a lot of their franchises and software. They're building for what tomorrow is going to bring. And some of these IP and franchises, they will bear fruit this generation. We will play a fable. We will play Perfect Dark. But it's all about of what's for the next harvest season. Right. And the next harvest season, of course, in this scenario, is the next generation of Xbox. So 2024 is going to bring a lot of promise. But it's also a glimmer at the future that Xbox and Microsoft host for what they see for the brand. And they see a bright future for it. And when I look at 2023, that's what I see. I see the building blocks for what is to come, you had the announcement of Blade to basically cap off the year. And it's many years off, mm-hmm. but it's promising. It shows that Microsoft is now willing to partner with major media companies like Disney and Marvel and get these iconic characters that Sony has done so well in the past. And Microsoft is willing to now dabble in that as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited for the future of Microsoft, and it may not be entirely in 2024, but 2023 showed that they are committed and they're going to continue to expand the ecosystem of the Xbox brand. And that's my takeaway from 2023. Now, as a fan, as a consumer, maybe it didn't deliver on all those notes and you're not all that interested in what's to come in four or five years. But Microsoft is building. Yeah towards that future and when that future becomes present it's going to be an exciting day no doubt and i'm looking forward to it no doubt i totally agree and i did forget to mention halo um and i'm not sure why because we played a lot of halo last year ourselves and we probably put about 60 to 80 hours into that game playing multiplayer so Mm -hmm. yeah i mean look i i you you nailed everything uh all the points that i i was you know I, i mentioned and and look and and more than that, really, I mean, Microsoft is is in a 
really good good spot right now. I feel like there is so much excitement about the brand again. You know, I think we've talked about them, you know, over the last few years. And I remember probably about two years ago, we we were very critical of them saying, look, we don't really know what what's going to happen, how they're going to, you know, you know, replicate or whatever the word is, you know, the, the, the glory days, I'll say, the, the 360 era, which for me was probably when they were really firing on all cylinders, but mm-hmm. they're getting there, you know, like we're not there yet, but like you said, I mean, there is that that push now to get, you know, one first party release every quarter. There's also the Game Pass aspect, which let's be completely honest, was something that a lot of people were very skeptical of. Um, a lot of people within the industry, I might add, and and consumers weren't really sure about this Game Pass thing, but they have doubled down, they've tripled down on Game Pass. And honestly, Nate, I, I have to be honest with you, as someone that is a big fan of digital media, uh, sorry, uh, uh, of, of physical media, um, I couldn't imagine an Xbox without a Game Pass subscription anymore. Doesn't that sound crazy for me to say that? Like I've always been big <laughs> on physical, but if you have an Xbox and you don't have Game Pass, I feel like you're missing out on so much, you know? Um, it's almost like you have to have Game Pass now when you have an Xbox. And I think that's exactly what Microsoft wants wants us to, to feel like, that, mm-hmm. you know, if you buy an Xbox Series X or an S, or even if you don't, even if you just have a PC, um, you really want to get that Game Pass subscription up and running because you're going to get some quality games day one on Game Pass. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's that's a really good thing. Yeah, Game Pass has definitely become a core identity of the Xbox brand. And that is intentional. That is something Microsoft has sought out to achieve. And in a way, I view this current generation as the original xbox in a way Mm -hmm. because when you looked at the original xbox you saw the ambition of microsoft you they had so many internal studios that they were experimenting with every genre they had first party sports games they had first party fighting games with new ip that they were constantly in a state of let's reach out to that gaming community let's create genres and original ip for us to get a stronghold on the industry it ultimately didn't work in the majority of cases but then came the xbox 360 where microsoft really had a clear vision they partnered with major japanese third-party companies they partnered with western third-party companies and then their internal output be it fable gears of war getting remedy to create some exclusive games like Alan Wake. Mm-hmm. Microsoft was doing so much because they had that ambition. And when I look at Xbox and Microsoft during the series X and S generation of present, I see that ambition returning. I yep. see them recognizing the IPs and the genres that made them such a powerhouse and so important during the 360 generation. And they're returning to that. And now when you pair that with Game Pass, they don't really have to operate in that sense of fear of, are we going to sell enough copies? Mm-hmm. Because they are operating on a different understanding of, we put this game on Game Pass. 
let's get 10 million, 15 million players within the first 12 months. And then if you have DLC or expansion content or you sell early access like they did with Forza and Starfield and other games, you're going to make a lot of money. So Microsoft is almost able to better embrace those experimental games than, say, a Sony, because Sony's going to look at it and say, this game's going to cost us X amount of millions. Is there enough of a user base that's going to be interested in buying this game? Whereas Microsoft's going to view an experimental game and say, okay, we're going to put it on Game Pass and we'll see how it does. So if Microsoft can embrace that experimental route that made the Xbox so great 20 years ago, the future is going to be exceptionally bright. And I think we're going to see glimmers of that brightness in 2024. And I think we're going to see those glimmers in the near immediate future, actually. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think uh, there's a lot of good stuff coming up with Xbox this year. We're going to... We're going to talk about it right now. So what are we doing here? What are we, what are we talking about? We'll be back after a quick break. Ever thought modern video games should be more interesting? At the Gaming Blender, we take randomized genres, mechanics, and make a new game every episode. I've added permadeath. We have a survival game of a hardcore simulation, which could be House Flipper and with the permadeath of XCOM. Then that owl has to be an action adventure. Yes. Oh dear. Yes. And sometimes it doesn't quite work. And you have, you have a construction off over the course of the of the narrative. A construction off. The <laughs> way the way we can do this is that we ditch your idea entirely. Entirely. Check out the Gaming Blender on all your favorite podcast platforms now. Well, much like last year, What I will share right now is not a prediction. This is something happening. In the middle of January, Microsoft will have an Xbox Developer Direct. Not a significant shock. Right. They did this last year, so them repeating it really shouldn't come to, you know, much of a surprise to you. And, you know, I'm not sure what type of content they will have at the show, but it's good to see Microsoft once again host this event to start off the year. Because when you look back at the show last year, it kind of set the tone for the first half of the year. You had the shadow drop of Hi-Fi Rush. We got an update on Forza, even though it led to a delay. Mm-hmm. We then saw some new Redfield, uh, Redfall coverage. You don't yep. know how that went. But it still allowed Microsoft to come out and say, let's get some deep dives into the games that we have talked about coming in the calendar year, at least for the first half of the year. And now we're coming into 2024 and we don't know much about what's coming in 2024 beyond about a half a dozen games. But all of these games strictly have a 2024 designation. And those games are, you know, Hellblade 2, Towerborn, South of Midnight, Microsoft Flight Simulator, and Avowed. So for Microsoft to have a developer direct in should be within the next two weeks. So by the time this episode airs, two weeks, we will have a better idea of how Microsoft's first half of 2024 will be shaping up. And just as a prediction going into this, you have to feel as though we're going to get a deep dive into Hellblade 2 because everything about that game, to me, screams first half of 2024 release. And that's going to be the tentpole that Microsoft 
jams it to the ground and says, we're ready for 2024 and we're opening it Hellblade 2. Yes. Look, I'm looking at last year's Developer Direct and it was on January the 25th. So having one in the next couple of weeks is it makes sense to me that they would do that again. I think the Developer Direct was really the start of the kind of rebuilding process from last year because before the Developer Direct, things weren't particularly great, I felt like, with with Xbox and Microsoft. They, I feel like they had lost their way a little bit and they kind of came out with this Developer Direct that really did make people feel a lot more comfortable about what was going on. And of course, the shadow drop of Hi-Fi Rush was just absolute perfection. Now, the developer direct itself last year, yes, there were some games that did get delayed and Redfall, obviously, we know about. Another game that came out was Minecraft Legends, I believe. Uh, That was a part of that developer direct. But as far as Hellblade 2 goes, if, uh, if people go back and listen to the game the Game Awards predictions episode we made, I did say that that Hellblade 2 would be at the Game Awards, but I also said that it would not get a date. And I felt like the date would be uh, unveiled at the Developer Direct. And I think I'm going to stick to that that plan and say they are going to show us a lot more of Hellblade 2. There's going mm-hmm. to be a deep dive. Um, you know, there's going to be... a, a you know, some developer interviews and, and stuff like that. Because look, the, the game looks absolutely superb. And I think, you know, showing the fans of the development process of Hellblade 2, we've seen some stuff, obviously we know about it, but basically, you know, showing us more of the game, to, uh, doing uh, some some developer interviews and dating it, for this year is, I think, is the move for the developer direct. And look, honestly, Nate, um, everything else that you have in a developer direct after Hellblade 2 is just gravy because this is a game that a lot of Xbox fans have been waiting for. I mean, mm-hmm. we've been waiting for it since the start of the generation, to be honest. So I uh, I think Hellblade 2 is an absolute lock with with the date. Uh, I, I, I I'm not sure when it's coming, um, but it's definitely coming out this year, and hopefully, it's it's you know in the first half of this year. Yeah, I'm anticipating that Hellblade Two will release by June mm-hmm. at the absolute latest. This will be a first half of the year release. I would love for it to come out in May, maybe late April. Really kickstart Microsoft's year just with a very strong note. Because we can see what the competition has in the opening months. And, you know, Sony's operating primarily on Rise of the Ronin, mm-hmm. which I'm sure will be a high quality game in its own right. But Hellblade 2 definitely has a lot at stake. Not as some media outlets have portrayed it as it's everything, Microsoft's banking everything on it. Nothing to that extreme. But Microsoft definitely has high hope for this game. This is the game. They chose to debut the Xbox Series X with dating back to the Game Awards of 2019. We have seen the game at the Game Awards several times. We have seen it at June showcases. Microsoft clearly positioning Hellblade 2 as a major release of this generation. We've seen the visuals. We have a glimpse at how the gameplay has evolved from the original release. 
And having that game come out within the first five months of 2024 is a statement. Mm -hmm. It's a statement that Microsoft needs to make because every year since the Xbox Series X has launched, it has always felt we are waiting seven, eight months for a significant release to come out. And last year definitely bucked that trend when Hi-Fi Rush had a beautiful shadow drop in January. And then we waited a little bit and we got Redfall. I was like, okay, well, definitely didn't live up to any of the hype or expectation. And then we went into Forza in the second half of summer. And then that led us to Starfield. It was a nice type of release schedule, definitely some lulls. But now we need to have a major release and Hellblade 2 oh, yeah. should be it. And I don't want to get into too many predictions around the developer direct itself. We can wait once it's officially confirmed in the next you know, 10 to 14 days. Or we will react to it once it airs. But I do want to talk about some of the first party releases beyond what is already confirmed, as previously mentioned with Hellblade 2, Towerborn, South of Midnight, Flight Simulator, and Avowed. But I do want to get your quick thoughts on when do you think Avowed will release in 2024? Oh, it's a tough question. Man. Uh, look, I if we're saying that Hellblade 2 is middle of this year, maybe a summer release, potentially, or maybe just a little earlier. I'm probably going to say Avowed is a Q3 release, maybe in August-ish, uh, September-ish, I would say. But look, I'm throwing darts at the dartboard here. I, I, I couldn't really say. I mean, it, it's... The last time we saw Avowed was a, a, a while ago now. I mean, it's been a little bit since we saw that game and it looked great, but, you know, we've heard a couple of things behind the scenes how um, maybe it wasn't as further along as we thought, but I think 2024 is definitely the year for Avowed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say later on in the year, probably a Q3 game. But I, I'm, I, I will say, Nate, I, I don't have much confidence in predicting that that timeline. Yeah, Avowed, I would say out of the known games for 2024, I think Avowed has the highest percentage of being delayed out of the year and into early 2025. Right. Not saying that is going to be the case. I think it will be positioned as a holiday release. But out of the titles we had mentioned that are confirmed for 2024, I'd say Avowed is the one that I could feasibly see getting delayed mm -hmm. but i do think it will make that holiday release window and you know that's just it's just shaping microsoft 2024 in the way that they have discussed previously as matt booty has put out there we want a major release every single quarter so yep. if you can have hellblade 2 in that q1 q2 release window and then you have avowed, let's say in Q4, maybe Q3 at the earliest, and you have another significant title in Q4 or Q3, depending on where you place avowed, you get that momentum. And once that momentum is generated, people are going to talk about your brand with a lot of excitement. And right now, that's something the Xbox brand really hasn't had going for it. Every time it feels as though they're building up towards something, there's a slight stumble. But we also have to weigh now that in 2024, 
Activision is officially a first-party studio for Microsoft. So Q4 mm-hmm. is going to have Call of Duty. Right. Yep. I mean, that's the absolute... Absolute great point. And we don't really think of it in those terms, but we will think of it in those terms when this year's Call of Duty game drops and you see the big Xbox mm-hmm. uh, you know, splash screen at the start of the game when you launch it, right? Um, I think the thing with Avowed, I'm going to say is I'm looking again, I'm looking at last year's developer direct and for Forza Motorsport, all they did was they had coming 2023 uh, on there. I'm going to say they're going to have coming 2024 with Avowed because you're right. It could be a game that may slip out of 2024, but I still feel like it's probably going to come out this year later on though. Um, but yeah, uh, it's it's really just a, a coin toss really for, for something like that. See, with the developer direct, I'm kind of going into it with no expectation of Avowed being there. I th- feel as though avowed maybe something they would hold till june and you, you could be absolutely right i mean i feel like there is enough meat there is enough of a, a a serving here of a main course where they they don't necessarily need avowed um in the developer direct they could hold it for um we'll just say the xbox bethesda activision showcase in june right um they could definitely do that mm-hmm. but um i don't know i feel like it's been a little while since we've heard about Avowed, and I think, I think, I think a developer direct is a good place to to kind of remind people about the game that it is coming out this year. Yeah, I mean, and that's going to be the thing with the twenty twenty four lineup because obviously, what we know with just that handful of games isn't going to be all that Microsoft has in twenty twenty four, and that's where the developer direct, the June showcase will play pivotal roles in shaping the year for Microsoft. And I want to go into some of our predictions and expectations that Microsoft may have in terms of reveals of new software just in the calendar year, not necessarily releasing this year, Mm -hmm. but just in terms of announcements for this year, because we know there are numerous teams working on brand new projects, be it idsoft or machine gun games Mm -hmm. the coalition the initiative so many studios that have either announced games or have not announced games and you know avalanche with their project there's a lot of stuff that we have not seen dating back several years now and one of the games i want to lead off with is from machine gun games and bethesda and that is Indiana Jones. We haven't seen Indiana Jones since the teaser trailer that just kind of dropped randomly one day. It's been quite some time since then. There's been no talk of Indiana Jones since. And I think 2024 is going to be the year that we do see a trailer for the game. I'm going to go one step beyond that. My prediction and expectation is that we're going to see a trailer gameplay and the game will release wow before the end of this year wow i mean it it has been a little bit of time since we did see that tease it's been i want to i want to say two years that sound about right two and a half years it's either been two or three years maybe it's been i mean it's been a little while and it's one of those games where we don't really talk much about uh so it's been kind of silently being developed in the background almost 
And for whatever reason, it's it it didn't really uh, it's not really something that you know is really brought up very very much. But look, I think twenty twenty four could be a good year um, to you know to bring the game out. I I will say that it may be a game where it may not fit into this year. But if it was three years ago, Nate, where they did tease it. Look, Machine Gun Games, they are a quality studio and they know how to execute and they know how to ship games. So if, if that's been their main focus uh, for the last three years, then you're probably right. There's probably a good good chance, good expectation that that it could come out this year. But I do, I do agree with you in that we'll definitely hear more about Indiana Jones this year. And I'm looking forward to it. I think that's another one of those games where it's, it, it got some, some buzz when it, when it was teased, but it kind of just, you know, hasn't really been talked about very much, or maybe it's not as sexy as some of the third party over the shoulder games that we've seen over the last few years. I, I don't know, but I think Indiana Jones is a good prediction to make for 2024. I, I, I think, at the bare minimum, we're gonna we're gonna see more of that game, um, and if it does release this year, as you're predicting, then that would be absolutely incredible for the fans, and I'd love to see it. So, for reference, the Indiana Jones Bethesda game teaser trailer first aired January twelfth, two thousand twenty-one. Wow, that's been that's that's a long time ago, and we haven't seen anything since. There's yeah. been some minor updates from like Bethesda concerning the game and like Matt Booty just saying progress has been yeah. going however You're right but nothing beyond that so that's why I am I'm expecting that we're going to see the game this year it will release this year and we all know the talent and the pedigree over at Machine Gun Games we've all played Wolfenstein and Wolfenstein 2 mm-hmm. the Colossus we know what they can do and with Indiana Jones, my interest is high because naturally, I would say the first instinct of many, yourself included, would be that this has to be a third-person game because Indiana Jones, you're, you're adventuring, you have a whip. But we've never really have seen a AAA, high-quality third-person game from Machine Gun Games. We have not. So, like, So my expectation is... This is going to be first person, and I'm going to be really interested to see if they're able to capture the essence of Indiana Jones being the archaeologist, being a detective as you're exploring tombs, and do you have the whip to solve puzzles and such? Because I'm sure the gunplay is going to be just exquisite, but it's an Indiana Jones game. I shouldn't be blasting Nazis like it's a Wolfenstein game. It should right. be a little more subdued than that. So I'm going to be very interested when we do see this game and to see the direction that Machine Gun Games has taken it because Indiana Jones is a iconic franchise. Some of the finest movies that the industry has ever put out. So I have fond memories of you know the Holy Grail and not so much temple of doom but yeah are the newer ones they can just be removed from history (laughs) but the original trilogy two of the three are fantastic so i'm going to be very interested to see the direction machine gun games is taking indiana jones and if it comes out this year 
kind of shaping up into that situation that Microsoft was talking about, huh? Of mm. one major release per quarter. Yep. Yep. I mean, that's always been, that's what they wanted to get to. That that's And they've been very, very clear on that, that the direction that they want to take is to have one first party game every quarter. Uh, so yeah, uh, as far as first person, I think I agree with you. Machine Gun Games, all their games, Machine Games, I think it is, uh, all their games are uh, a first person games. I think, you know, some people may feel like it should be a third person game, but I mean, I kind of maybe think about this along the lines of a Metroid Prime in, in some way where it is first person. Um, maybe there is some sequences where the camera does uh, pan back and, and show the character in, in some way, but I, I'm pretty hyped about uh, Indiana Jones and I, I think um, Machine Games, they do fantastic work. And I've, I will say that I've worked with them on the Quake project. Uh, they They built the the extra campaign for the game and they're, they're nothing but an amazingly talented team of people out there. They do exceptional work. And I think what whatever they're doing with Indiana Jones will be absolute quality. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I cannot wait to see the direction they've taken it. And, you know, as said, there's a lot of other studios under Microsoft right now that they've either have announced games that we haven't seen or there are studios who have yet to announce anything. And the one that comes to mind is always the coalition. The mm -hmm. last time we have seen anything from the coalition dates back to 2020 with Gears of War 5's DLC expansion pack, Hive Busters, which was fantastic. But we're definitely long overdue to see what is the coalition working on? What have they been up to? And I'd say in 2024... It's time to show Gears of War 6. It's time for us to see what the Coalition is doing with Unreal Engine 5. And if 2024 comes and goes without us seeing Gear 6 or something related to Gears of War, be it a Gears collection mm -hmm. or anything like that, I'm going to start having a few questions for Microsoft's handling of not only the IP, but what exactly is going on over at the Coalition. So. I I think the way that I would um, try to respond to that is I think there's probably a good chance that we will see a at least a tease of Gear 6 this year. But I also want to give the Coalition the benefit of the doubt because we do know that they are working with Unreal Engine 5 and we do know that they do quality work and they're doing a lot of work with UE5 right now. And I think this is a situation, Nate, where I feel like if if shit isn't ready, they're not they're not going to show us anything. So it really just depends on how they're kind of faring with UE5, right? How you know how far advanced are they? with the, with that tech because they just don't want to you know slap on a UE5 game some of the early UE5 games that we've seen that have already come out have been they haven't been very good right as far as the performance and and the visuals uh, and I'm not picking on any specific game but like some of the UE5 games we've currently seen you know it, you can tell that 
the developers are still trying to get their head around the technology and the engine. And I think the coalition is, they're cut from a different cloth. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like they won't give us anything unless they're ready to give us something. I know that's such a cliche thing to say, but I, on the flip side, I do feel like it is time for at least a tease of Gears 6 just to let the fans know that, hey, this is coming. So, you know, don't worry. We 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 know what's going on. But beyond that, I don't know what else we would see from, from Gear 6. I mean, look, the the best scenario is that they show it to us and they they slap a date on it. And when I say date, I mean a year, right? Like, and it's probably gonna be like 2025, maybe. But it, it it all really depends on on how far along the coalition is doing with Unreal Engine Five. If this was not a UE five game, if it was just UE four or just kind of existing engine tech that they are very very comfortable with, this game probably would be coming out this year. It may have come out last year. Let's be honest. But it really just depends on how far along they're going with UE five. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely going to see a lot of unreal engine 5 games in 2024 and i think that's one of the important parts of hellblade 2 releasing in the first half of the year it would be able to show microsoft's internal studios mastery of the engine especially compared to some of the third-party unreal engine 5 efforts thus far so we also have to make note in reference that the coalition always works very close with epic when it comes time to create tech demos with unreal engine 5 because we have seen tech demos of unreal engine 5 that the coalition had heavy involvement with i believe the coalition were one of the developers who assisted epic in creating the matrix demo yeah and we all saw what that looked like oh yeah absolutely so it's definitely a situation of what type of mastery is the coalition having with this engine and if they have mastered it what are we going to see yeah when it is time to see gears of war 6 is this going to be kind of that generation defining moment of wow this is what unreal engine 5 can do on these systems this is amazing it took four or five years for us to see it but now that we're seeing it whoa I mean, Gears of War, like even on the 360, when it when it first kind of came out, we first saw it. We we had that holy shit moment, like the uh-huh. the mega textures in the game and just some of the amazing post processing effects and the kind of the 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 animation rigging and just everything about that game was incredible. It was just it was just a generational leap above everything else that we had seen, you know, at that point. And I feel like that's what we would expect to see from Gears 6. This is truly going to be a next generation title with UE5 being um you know optimized and run in such a way where it's look it's not going to be like a an absolute revolution uh over you know Gears 5 which and Hive Busters which by the way both of those games look incredible. There's certainly nothing wrong with those. But it's just going to be that same situation where I feel like the coalition is trying to, like you said, you said mastering the engine, 
I think they want to master the engine before they really kind of unveil something for us. Um, there's a pretty good chance they've already mastered the engine. And look, I think we'll definitely hear something from Gear 6 this year. When it will actually release is very difficult to say. But if we're predicting, maybe they'll unveil it this year and maybe next year's developer direct in January of 2025 is when they'll actually <laughs> commit to a date for later on in 2025. How about that? I like that. I like that. I'll accept that. Now we do have, you know, Perfect Dark from the initiative. I think in 2024, we will see the game again, but I would imagine it's going to be on a venue similar to the June showcase or maybe the game awards again, because that game is still a little ways from release. And I don't think Microsoft has to detract from their 2024 lineup to reintroduce us to Perfect Dark just yet. So that's kind of a title that I'm flipping a coin on whether or not we see it in 2024. But I would yeah. definitely welcome a gameplay trailer because we only saw that type of teaser trailer. We saw the concept. It was basically a we're looking to hire individuals who have interest in working on the next installment of Perfect Dark type trailer. It was a marketing trailer and just a means of introducing us to the franchise. But I want to see the direction that the initiative is taking Perfect Dark. So I would welcome it this year, but I'm not expecting it. Very similar to Fable. I'm not expecting us to see Fable in 2024. We saw it at the last June showcase. And the fact that they were hesitant to give it a release year suggests to me they can wait another year. They can wait till a developer direct or a June showcase of 2025 to reintroduce us to Fable, depending on when it is slated for release. I'm going to mostly agree with you, but I'm going to slightly disagree with you i think perfect dark is you're right i agree with you it's probably not something that we're going to hear about for a little while yet and look i think you know with crystal dynamics in the mix that game is kind of under heavy development right now and and it's probably not going to surface for a while yet but i think we're going to hear something about fable this year nate i think we're going to hear something about fable this year I don't know what, you know, how much we're going to hear about it, but there will be a Fable update this year, I feel. Um, maybe there's just a, a more, um, you know, curated gameplay trailer, or maybe there's a little bit more insight into the game or maybe the story of, of Fable. I'm not saying we're going to see anything of, you know, of substance, but I think it's going to be very similar to the Gears 6 thing, uh, where it's going to be more of a, you know, we we know you guys are waiting patiently, um, but we still we still have a little bit more work to do. But here is you know a later a, a quick vertical slice or a quick tease of of you know how things are progressing, some of the combat mechanics or, or something like that. I think we're going to get something from Fable this year. Playground, they do quality work. I look, I follow some some Playground people. I'm friends with some of them. I don't know anything about what's happening because they don't tell me, of course, because you don't do that. But um, <laughs> you know, I, I kind of catch the occasional uh, tweet about you know about how things are going, and it seems like things are progressing on pretty well. So we're going to hear something from Fable this year. That's what I think. What about other titles that we had seen last year, like Clock Tower Revolution? 
you think we'll get an update on that this year or maybe even the long long rumored now leaked oblivion remake you think we'll see that this year or you think maybe that's something that's a little too close to avowed and they'd like to avoid direct comparisons with that so let avowed come out first and then show two titles that are kind of in a similar vein and just have those in 2025 well there is one game night that i think a lot of us have forgotten about and that is replaced the 2.5d cyberpunky futuristic platformer do you remember that one vaguely vaguely Um, so that was announced back in 2022 and it was a part of xbox's showcase i think back in 2022 Uh, i could be wrong someone may correct me on that but i think replaced is a game that i'm expecting to see coming out this year i think the publisher was coat sync um that that's doing it but it's a uh, it was part of the Xbox showcase a couple of years ago, so I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of throw that one in into the mix. Um, as far as Clock Tower Revolution, is that the name of the game? Is is it Clock Tower Resol- Revolution? I think so. Um, I, to... uh, I think um, I think we could see that come out this year as well. Uh, but again, it could be something that may end up kind of getting bumped to to 2025 but look i think even the games that we've already kind of thrown out there as 2024 uh releases and you know reveals slash teasers that's a we're looking at a pretty stellar year for xbox even just with mm-hmm. that uh, as far as oblivion goes i couldn't really say i mean it's does it I think, and and correct me if I'm wrong. Is, did did I hear that Virtuoso is working on on the Oblivion game yes. behind the scenes? I mean, mm-hmm. look, uh, Virtuos, they do very good work. They they know uh, how to remaster games, remake games. They're they're very very experienced with it. They have some really good tech. We've obviously seen some of the work they do. They've done on the Switch. Looks some of their you know ports have have been really really good. Some of them have been not as good, but I think really in that situation, you just have to put it down to the amount of uh, budget that has been allocated for the studio to to focus on. But I feel like if they have a a large enough budget for uh, you know an Oblivion game, which they probably do, I would expect that that's going to be good. Um, is it coming out this year? I'm probably going to say it's going to be 2025. Uh, it, it may be something that that may creep its head into this year at the end of this year, but I'd probably expect it to be next year. So the name is Clockwork. Thank you. Revolution. Cause, yeah, because Clock Tower is, um, <laughs> is a different game, which is being developed by Limited Run Games on the Carbon Engine, but we can move on. Good plug. <laughs> and yeah, like Oblivion... I wouldn't be shocked if we see it this year. I like the June showcase because it all comes down to the ambition of the project. And with it being virtuous, and we know they're working on the Metal Gear Solid Delta project Mm -hmm. to some extent. Yep. That I'm kind of going into the Oblivion project as them essentially just redoing the visuals, but leaving the rest alone. So it's just visual improvement. But the gameplay, everything else is left untouched. 
So I would imagine that's not going to be a huge budget project. And it's something that maybe would take three years for Virtuos to crank out there. And I believe the leak had been suggesting either 2021 or 2022 is when work began. So I think it being officially announced this year is well within reason. But in terms of release, I do agree with you that it would be in 2025. And they could almost position it. It wouldn't be exact, but I don't think you have to really nitpick. Is that Oblivion originally released on the Xbox 360 in spring of 2026. Mm -hmm. So if you really want to say next year is the 20th anniversary release of Oblivion, I don't think anyone would argue with you. Yeah. And I'm, I'm gonna, not sure if it did it come to PC before it came to the 360? Um I don't know. It was never a big I don't, I don't remember Elder Scrolls to be person, honest. It, it, so. it could well have come to PC first, but honestly, I don't recall. But here's what I will say about Oblivion. I think the game is going to be cross cross platform. I think it's going to be on PlayStation as well. I don't really Oof. I don't feel like it's it's gonna stay on the Xbox. I feel like it's a game that is beloved. And, you know, people uh, played it on the PlayStation back in the day. Uh, I, I can't see why it would be an exclusive Xbox game. You know, we're going to come back to that a little later because <laughs> there's one more studio I want to bring up and it's Idsoft. We haven't heard or seen anything from them since Doom Eternal. And on the Microsoft leaked roadmap, there was a mention of a game called Doom Year Zero, I believe it was. And to my understanding, Doom Year Zero never got into actual development. So it doesn't appear that IdSoft is working on Year Zero, but it doesn't mean they're not working on a brand new Doom game. Mm -hmm. But they could also be working on a new IP. They could be working on any number of things. Do you think we will see Id's brand new game in 2024? Yes, and it's going to be a Doom game, Nate. It has to be a Doom game. That's what id Software is. Id Software is Doom, Quake. That's what they do. I, I don't think, you know, there's a, a brand new IP that they're working on. I think, and it's not Quake, right? Let's 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 stop talking about <laughs> Quake. We got Quake remastered. We got Quake 2 remastered. There's there's nothing Quake that's happening as far as I know. So it's it's a new Doom game. Has to be a new Doom game. And I think we're going to hear about this year. It's time. It Software has been very, very quiet for a long, long time. You know, they <laughs> they they haven't really been uh, they haven't resurfaced really since Doom Eternal, and that's been quite a while now. So I think it's uh, it's new game, their new Doom game, whatever it is, will will surface this year, and I'm looking forward to it. Do you think if it is a new Doom mm-hmm. that it's going to be essentially a reboot in the vein of Doom 2016? Um, I couldn't really say what this next Doom game is. I mean, I think Doom Eternal, the way it finished, it was, it kind of finished, you know, with a story that it kind of made it seem like there was just not going to be anything beyond. But I could see potentially some type of reboot or, or starting, but. I don't I I don't know, Nate. Like it's hard to really predict what it could be, honestly. Um, it could be a you know, that that year zero thing. I'm assuming that's like some type of origin story of Doom Guy and how he, he became Doom Guy. 
Um, but if you're saying that that's something that's no longer, you know, in their plans or, you know, you, you believe it's not, um, you know, what, then what is this game, man, that's, that's a tough question to answer. I don't know. Like, uh, yeah, it's, it's very difficult to, to really think about what, what do you think it is? I think you made a compelling case for it to be a doom game. Mm -hmm. And I'd just be curious as to what they would do to evolve the doom franchise, because with doom 2016, and doom eternal both fantastic games that showed a lot of evolution for from the original doom formula and now that we have gone kind of a i don't want to call it a lengthy absence since doom eternal but as you mentioned doom eternal definitely felt as though it sought to wrap itself up in the yep. story that was being told so if they are to return to doom you kind of have to introduce some innovative new gameplay ideas. You have to bring forth something that differentiates this new Doom from Doom 2016 and Doom Eternal. Right. And if they can do that, which I believe and have the confidence that they can, I'm going to be interested to see exactly what they do. And I agree that we will see Idsoft's game this year. Mm-hmm. And it's just a question of when will we see it? Will it be in June? Will it be something for the Game Awards? Could it be something in between those two types of presentations? That's kind of a big question mark. But I agree. We will see itself. It will be a Doom game. And I think it'll be something that people are going to get excited for when that day hopefully comes in 2024. Now, one thing I do want to go to is the topic of backward compatibility. As last year, Microsoft announced they were suspending the backwards compatibility initiative as they claimed they reached the limit. There were no more games they could add to backwards compatibility, be it due to technical issues or licensing issues. But this predates the acquisition of Activision Blizzard. And with that now final, Microsoft finds themselves in possession of a vast catalog of software that is not backwards compatible with the Series X and S. So naturally, you would assume that Microsoft is going to revisit, resurrect the backwards compatibility program in 2024 and look to bring these Activision games to the backwards compatibility program on the Xbox. And that is something I expect Microsoft to announce maybe within the first six months of 2024. Maybe it'd be a major announcement in June at the June showcase. Maybe it would just be a random Twitter drop one day. But I expect that Microsoft will resurrect the backwards compatibility program because they are now in possession of just way too much legacy software to ignore it yes agree with you um just a couple of things i wanted to correct you on xbox said there would be no more backward compatible games due to legal and tech issues that was actually done back in 2021 not last year it's been a while oh wow it's It's been been it's been a long time since they've stopped we don't really think about it in those terms because i think last year um xbox uh, announced that they were shuttering the Xbox 360 store front um, this year, I believe. So maybe that's what you were thinking about. But yeah, it's been mm-hmm. it's been you know three years since uh, 
well, not three years, like two, two and a half years almost that they, uh, they had stopped the backward compatibility program. Right. Um, so with that in mind, um, I agree with you. They are definitely going to, well, I think they're definitely going to bring back the backward compatibility program because there is very compelling reasons to do so. And the ABK acquisition obviously means that they have a, a lot of games now where they have the ability to bring back, um, whether that is licensing, whether it's technical, uh, I'm not really sure, but I think that with you know the ABK thing as a done deal, yeah, I mean, it's almost, I don't want to say it's a given because nothing is a given, of course, but the fact that Microsoft has suspended the program, they suspended it previously back in 2019. So this is a situation where they'll 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 spin it up, they will work on it for you know X number of years, and then they will suspend it or they will just sunset it because they hit some type of barrier where they feel like they can't really go on any further either due to licensing issues or due to the fact that the hardware is not capable of, um, you know, bringing more. But I think with the Xbox Series X being a very powerful system and the ABK acquisition and the fact that now there are more games now that they can easily bring back, then, yeah, I would expect the the BC program to come back this year. Um, you know, first half of this year, yeah, why not? I mean... It's it's time. I would say that there is a team working on it, you know, as we speak. And I will also say that Jason Ronald, who uh, is someone that I know, no longer works in the backward compatibility program. He doesn't run that anymore. He has been uh, promoted. He's a VP now. So I would say there's probably a different, you know, different leader or a different leadership working on that right now. But there is there is uh, the backward compatibility program. I think is is definitely something that we'll see come back this year. Because mm-hmm. I mean, I immediately can think of one game that's perfectly suited for the Xbox backwards compatibility program that is now a viable option, and it's Quake Four. Absolutely, I'd love to see that uh, come back. Uh, I know it's on. I think it's on PC Game Pass. Yep. Um, but even games like uh, Prototype, right? Which I I don't think you can play that on back and pat at the moment. Um, well, actually, no. The 360 version of Prototype is not backward compatible. Um, so I mean, there are there are a, a mix of games that that you know I could see coming back pretty easily. Quake mm-hmm. Four would be one that I would personally love to see because it's. It's just one of those games where I felt like when it first came out on the 360, it kind of, I mean, it's not the best game. It's not the best Quake game uh, in in the collection, but it is one of those games where it kind of got overlooked uh, very much in the same way as Doom 64 did on the N64 because people were playing, you know, Mario and Banjo and, and Goldeneye and they didn't care about Doom on the N64. I feel like Quake 4 was a very similar thing on the Xbox 360. But yeah, there's definitely games they can tap into. Hexen is obviously another one that, that you know we keep hearing about. Um, uh, Prototype is one that I, I would I would like to see. 
So yeah, I mean, um, definitely a list of games that they could they could tap into. Now I want to bring up this topic because you did mention it earlier when we were discussing Oblivion. And I want to bring up the idea of Microsoft going quote unquote third party, but not really going third party, just Microsoft expanding their multi-plat publishing initiative that we have seen them dabble with in the past, some of it due to contractual obligations, but at this point, them potentially exploring it due to non-contractual obligations, just due to a desire to bring a game to a non-Xbox branded system or even a Windows branded system and beyond PC. So PlayStation, mm-hmm. Switch. You brought it up with Oblivion. Yep. And what I will share with you is that in the calendar year of 2024, Microsoft will bring one of their more acclaimed first-party releases to a competitor's system. Mm -hmm. I mean, that does not surprise me. Like, I mean, let's, let's just, you know, let's not fanboy around here. Let's, let's be, let's talk business for a second. There are going to be some releases. I feel like Nate, where Microsoft is going to look at it and say, we should probably bring this out everywhere as as much as we can and i i definitely put oblivion into that mix and i also want to talk about the quake remaster stuff now when i worked at night dive and i worked on quake remaster we were contracted to bring that out to all the different consoles at the time so that was already done before the acquisition but a lot of people don't talk about quake 2 which was well after the acquisition, came out on everything. Now, of course, you could say, yeah, it's a smaller game, so it doesn't really hold that much weight in the conversation. But I feel like Xbox or whoever it is, uh, you know, whoever kind of makes these decisions, I'm assuming it's Xbox management, upper management. I feel like they have um, the power to really just, you know, turn around and say, we should probably bring this game out to every system or every console that's currently available right now. So I'm not really that surprised to hear you say that. And I do think a game like Oblivion that's being remade that will come to the PlayStation. I don't think it's going to just sit on the Xbox because then what is the point of remaking the game? I feel like if you're going to remake something, then it's something that I feel like really belongs on the systems that it was originally running on in the first place. So that's why I kind of felt like PlayStation would get um a game like mm-hmm. Oblivion. That's why that's why the Switch and and PlayStation, you know, gets games like, you know, Doom 64 and Quake and Quake 2 because, you know, those systems even though, you know, Quake never came out to console, um well it did on the N64 and didn't came out on the PlayStation. Um, it was only the N64 that it came out. But, you know, having having basically those games accessible and available to everyone makes a lot of sense to me. Look, most of Xbox's first-party games are probably going to be exclusive Game Pass games. They're going to stay on, on Xbox hardware and PC. But there's going to be situations where I feel like Microsoft is going to make a decision 
to make these games available everywhere. And I'm not talk we're not talking about ABK and everything that was, you know, committed to in the court proceedings because right. we know we already know about Call of Duty. We know that's not going anywhere. We're talking about um pretty much everything else, you know, outside of that. But to hear you say that um does not surprise me. So, yeah, I mean, I I would definitely expect to see some Xbox titles, you know, run on on the Switch or the Switch successor and on on PlayStation 5 hardware. Makes sense to me. Yes, and the title I am referring to was met with high critical acclaim. Fans loved it. It was in the game of the year conversation the Redfall. year it released. Was it Redfall? I can't confirm or deny it being Redfall. It's not going to be. It's, it's not, not Redfall. Be Redfall. <laughs> no, it's not Redfall. <laughs> but when the announcement comes, I think it's going to be met with a lot of excitement because this is a quality game. And as you were saying, I think this is this is a smart move for Microsoft. And I could see why a lot of Xbox fans, especially the hardcore loyalist, mm-hmm. maybe just hellbent against it. But view it from Microsoft's perspective, from a business perspective. If you're bringing select games to multi-platform, so outside of PC to Switch and PlayStation, your competitors' consoles, you're doing so because you see the quality of the IP and the franchise. You want to expand its reach beyond that of just the Xbox itself. So now you bring, let's say, Pentiment, just as an example of a game, to Switch and PlayStation. Well, it's very well received. It sells well on those consoles and this is a game that at this point it's not going to sell any xbox systems it's not going to drive game pass subscriptions it's done all it's going to do mm-hmm. you bring it to these other platforms now these gamers on the playstation or the switch play it they're like yo this game is awesome you announce a sequel in three years but this time the sequel is exclusive to the xbox brand right the only way I can play it now is I have to buy an Xbox or I have to guy, you know, buy it on PC, which Microsoft is okay with. Well, I lured you in, I baited you, and now I hooked you. Mm-hmm. And by going with a multi-platform release with select games and then bringing a sequel out years later and making that exclusive, it allows Microsoft to expand their ecosystem but then also draw you in when the time is right. Yeah. So when you look at the current generation, you know, Microsoft still has a lot of quality games coming out. And when you evaluate it on a game by game basis and say, which one can we use to strengthen our brand a little more for the future? Well, let's bring that game to a multi-platform. Let's see the interest it gains on a Nintendo or a Sony device. Okay. It was well-received. The sequel exclusive. Let's bring that base to us now. It can work well. It's a gamble. And it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around if you're a consumer saying, well, if they don't have an interest in it at the onset when it's exclusively on the Xbox, why would they have interest in it when it comes to their brand? We all know the tribalism of gaming. Mm -hmm. Once the other systems have a game that used to be yours, They will try it if the game is good. But now 
you have interest in that franchise. And if you're not getting a sequel and you have to go to the Xbox system to play the sequel, you're going to consider it. Because at the end of the day, especially at this point of the generation, people have kind of made their home on their system of choice, be it Xbox, PlayStation, or Switch. It's going to be very hard to persuade some of these individuals to buy another $500 system. Not everyone is a multi-console home. But if you lay the groundwork for the you know, the future today, there's no telling what tomorrow will bring. So when Microsoft does announce this title, and it's not like as dusk falls, we already know that's going multi-platform. And, you know, Microsoft could be partnering with an external publisher to bring the title I'm referring to, to a multi-platform release. We've seen them do this in the past with Ori, Will of the Wisp. They had, I believe it was I Am 8-Bit, do the publishing of that game. And I believe with As Dusk Falls, it is P-Cube mm-hmm. doing the publishing of that release for multi-platform. So maybe Microsoft reaches out to a, or has a external publisher do the title I am referring to. Maybe Microsoft self-publishes it on these other platforms. I don't know. But yes, Microsoft will be dabbling in bringing a first-party game to competitor platform in 2024. At least one game. I know of one. Mm. Don't know if there'll be additional. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think it it, make, it makes total sense to me that that they would they would look at doing that. Um, you know, there are a lot of people out there that that feel like, well, now that you know Microsoft owns all these studios, that they're going to just close ranks. But it's we've already seen them already pivot in some areas and i think that's just going to continue i think it's it's a case-by-case basis where uh, like you said maybe the game um has you know run its course on game pass and or you know just kind of regular you know digital sales and they want to expand its reach they want to you know bring their games to a new audience and I think it makes total sense. I mean, there's nothing stopping Xbox, Microsoft, you know, Microsoft Game Studios from, you know, getting a couple of PlayStation dev kits and start bringing their games to PlayStation. PlayStation is going to turn around and and deny it. They're going to accept anything that that comes their way if it's if it's a quality game. So yeah, it makes total sense to me, Nate. I uh, I I can definitely see. Um, you know, it's not. I think it's not. It's going to be an outlier, I think. I don't think, you know, it's going to be one of those situations where every time it happens, and it won't happen very often, maybe once or twice a year, um, it'll be an outlier. You know, we'll be like, oh, that's, you know, a lot of people will be surprised potentially at at why. But at the end of the day, it's just business. I mean, Microsoft, Phil, Spencer wants, you know, he keeps saying, you know, when we all play together, we all win. I think I'm not sure if that's mm-hmm. the, I'm butchering the the phrase, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they want their games everywhere. Um, obviously, getting Game Pass on on PlayStation and Switch, I think, is something potentially they have attempted to look into, and it's something that I don't feel like really went anywhere because it wasn't really you know accepted by um, Nintendo and, and and Sony, so. The second best thing is just to get your games on on those platforms, and they've already done it before, and they will continue to do it going forward. So, yeah, makes total sense to me. I want to go into some of the 
third party deals that we could see come to Game Pass in 2024. Because we saw how 2023 played out. Microsoft was very friendly with select studios, be it like a Capcom and Sega Atlas and such. And now that we are in a new year, we have seen some of the announcements that they will have coming to Game Pass. We know we have Persona 3 Reload coming to Game Pass in just a couple of weeks. We know Capcom has some other titles coming to Game Pass in 2024 as they had announced these last year. We also know that in 2023, Square Enix and Microsoft took stage to say, we're working together. We're going to have a better relationship. So I want to get some of your thoughts on what you're expecting in terms of third-party deals and the type of games we might see come to Game Pass in 2024 from these partners. Man, you're putting me on the spot. Um, I think Ubisoft is is something that uh, a publisher that I, w- I think is going to show some more stuff on Game Pass. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong there, isn't Valhalla coming out this month? Assassin's Creed? Yes. Um, so yeah, I think we'll probably see more along the lines of um, more Ubisoft games start to appear on Game Pass throughout this year. So that's uh, definitely something that, that you know I've, I've given some thought to. Uh, look, Capcom, you know, they, they they could potentially throw in. I mean, we again, Capcom, we're seeing RE2 remake coming in. Um, I think we we already, did we already have RE3 remake on Game Pass or am I? No. So, yeah, I mean, if we didn't, then I could potentially see Capcom, you know, throwing in um, RE2 remake, obviously, which is something that's happening right now. And they maybe give us RE3 three remake, um, you know, throughout this year. It really just depends on uh, what some of these third parties are, you know, cooking up to present and and, and tease and show. Um, I do like the Resident Evil um, games coming to Game Pass this year, the the kind of the earlier remakes, because um, I do think there's probably going to be some type of Resident Evil Nine announcement later this year. Uh, potentially for a release next year. So, yeah, look, I think Capcom and Ubisoft will, will give us some stuff. EA, um, I mean, they always will, you know, they, there's always something that comes in from EA. Um, but, look, I, I couldn't really say beyond beyond that. I think there's potential for maybe um, some more, you know, Sega stuff to, to come in. Um, you know, maybe some of the, you know, the, the Sonic, uh, the more recent Sonic titles could potentially show up on Game Pass. But at this point, again, Nate, I'm just kind of throwing darts at the dartboard. But I like I liked Ubisoft to, to kind of, you know, sprinkle in some releases this year, um, maybe some Resident Evil games. But beyond that, I couldn't really say. What, what do you think, though? I think the biggest third-party contributor to Game Pass this year is going to come from Japan, and it's going to be Square Enix. Mm -hmm. Looking back at what Square Enix and Microsoft had shared in 2023 of we're committed to each other, we're going to have a working relationship, I think was very telling. And immediately following that, they had announced that Octopath Traveler 2 was coming to Xbox in early 2024 as well as final fantasy 14 will be coming to the xbox in early 2024 as well Mm -hmm. 
And I think that's going to kind of set the trend moving forward. I would not be surprised if we saw each of the Final Fantasy Pixel remaster titles enter Game Pass. You know, and, you I know, totally at some point about this those year. Games. And that that's that's a pretty good <laughs> that's a pretty good prediction to make. But I think they'll go even beyond that. I think we're going to see Final Fantasy 16 come to Xbox in 2024. Ooh. Ooh. Can't just spring that on us at the end of this episode. That's crazy. The, the exclusive hold has now expired. It expired at the conclusion of December. Mm-hmm. So the PC version could be announced at any time. And I think it will come to Xbox. I think that is a game Microsoft purposely set out to get from Square Enix. Not saying it would be a Game Pass, you know, release per mm-hmm. se, but I do think we will see 15 on the xbox at least announced this year 15 or 16 no oh, 16 okay 16 so they do still have one more dlc to come right which is the leviathan dlc i yes. believe so mm-hmm. when is that scheduled to come out? do we have a date for that yet i believe they just said spring, spring yeah. 2020. it might so, be like march or april are you saying that after they've kind of they've committed to the uh the dlc i think it's a season pass actually um then there is the option the possibility that square could potentially bring the game to the xbox i mean that would be fantastic if they brought Mm -hmm. ff16 and i think it's something that you know like you can tell that that square enix really wants ff16 to have um legs and it sold pretty well in Japan uh, for the most part. I mean, I think it's it's been a pretty decent, um, you know, sales. It's done quite well for them. But having it on the Xbox would be would be pretty big. And I, I also wonder, because um, it is coming out for the PC as well, I believe, as well. So um, with those two, I could definitely see Square Enix really, you know, being happy with, with getting that game on the Xbox and PC. But it's just, uh, you know, it's just hard to for me to really think about that because I, you're right. I mean, there was that, you know, that onstage presence with Phil Spencer and, you know, Yoshi P was there and they they talked about Game Pass and, and, and whatever. But, you know, historically, obviously, it hasn't been great for Xbox and Square Enix, but... I, I I think you're right though. The relationship has I think that they have turned the you know they have turned a corner on it, and they are starting to you know bring their games to Xbox. Obviously, there is Visions of Mana as well, which is another game that's coming out this year. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, seeing FF16 on the Xbox would be absolutely incredible for the fans. Um, and probably you're probably right. I think it's something Square Square Enix has have on their roadmap of something that they want to bring out. But, man, that would be a pretty hype announcement um, if they did announce that, I think. Yeah, I mean, when I look at the game, they still haven't officially announced the PC version. The exclusive clause had just expired. Mm -hmm. So, but they had kind of hinted and implied a PC release will come and that they would talk about it sometime in 2024. So if Microsoft could go to the June showcase and announce Final Fantasy 16 is coming to Xbox in late 2024 early 2025 
it would definitely send a little bit of a ripple. It's not going to be a full-on shockwave because it's still not Final Fantasy VII Remake, but it would show that the relationship between Square Enix and Microsoft is strengthening to a point that a mainline Final Fantasy game is returning to the Xbox brand. Right. Because it did have 15, it had the 13 trilogy, and if you look at Game Pass in the past, it had Final Fantasy seven, yeah. eight, nine, oh, yeah. ten, twelve, thirteen. All those titles were on Game Pass fifteen as well. Mm-hmm. So they did have this working relationship. You had the Dragon Quest Builders games. You had Dragon Quest on it, and now there is kind of a significant backlog of Square Enix games from this generation that have not come to Xbox. Not saying all of them will now come over, but we might see some of them find their way. Maybe some of those saga games that came to Switch and PlayStation a few years ago. Maybe some of those other mana games find their way to Xbox now. They're small releases, don't necessarily have to be Game Pass releases, but just to come to the brand, because that would allow Microsoft to position themselves and advertise themselves as having Square Enix support on their system. And being able to cater to the RPG fan in a meaningful way. And when you pair this with Sega Atlas, with the Persona games, the Xbox is all of a sudden transforming and becoming an appealing platform for those who really enjoy those RPGs from the Japanese developers. It may never take precedent and become the defining platform over Sony or Nintendo for that genre. But as long as Microsoft can have a meaningful presence and turn a profit for these companies, it makes them an attractive platform moving forward. And it all comes back to what we talked about at the start of the episode, building for the future. If you can get Square Enix and Atlas on your brand today and show that you are a competent, attractive platform for their games, it means tomorrow you can start signing some major exclusive deals, be it Game Pass or timed exclusives from some of these legendary iconic franchises. And Microsoft already kind of has a major deal with Atlas with the, the name escapes me at the moment. They announced that at the June showcase, it was um, Metaphor. That's right. From mm-hmm. Atlas. A huge, huge announcement. But we have to see the quality of the game because it is a new IP. It is a foreign thing. We don't know exactly what it's going to be, but it shows the efforts Microsoft is making. And Final Fantasy 16 coming to Xbox would just be another step in the right direction. I'd be incredible if we saw that on the Xbox. I'd be very, very happy to see it. Would you replay the game? Uh, I think if it was a complete edition with everything, Assuming that all the DLC and all that is is you know is done, yes, I probably would. If it was still, um, hey, you know, we're still waiting on some DLC, I, I may give it a miss. But look, the game is such a such a incredible experience and ride that I could probably run through it again. It's such a great game. Yeah, if it comes to the Xbox and you haven't played sixteen, which Based on the public sales figures, not many individuals have played Final Fantasy 16. Absolutely give it a try. And I mean, that would be the other benefit for Square Enix here is that if you bring it to the Xbox and when you bring it to PC, you will likely 
double the sales yeah. that you currently got on the PlayStation 5. So you give it that second wind, a booster in terms of sales, and maybe you get whatever figure you are internally hoping for from this particular release. And if you're Sony, you're probably not all that concerned about Final Fantasy 16 going multi-platform because you're going to have Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth this year, and that's your new focus. That's the Final Fantasy game you really care about. It's the Final Fantasy 7 trilogy. You can have 16. You can have Stranger in Paradise, Final Fantasy Origins. You can have the Pixel remasters. Those aren't a concern to us anymore because, you know, Sony used them to really elevate their 2023. And now they're just kind of forgotten. We don't need we don't need 16 anymore. Go play with the Xbox audience. <laughs> but it would be a huge get for Microsoft and Xbox if they are able to bring 16 over to the brand this year. Oh, yeah. And with that, I would go to some of the Streamlabs questions we have for this episode. And our first question comes from Colin, who donated $5 and writes, Concerned about Kojima's new cloud-based game with Microsoft. Slow download speeds make playing on the cloud challenging. Without local installation, how would it be possible to enjoy it with my poor internet? I would say don't worry about it right now because we haven't seen anything. All we've seen is some high-resolution faces making you know, weird expressions and emotions. And all we saw was Kojima on stage with Jeff Keighley and Jordan Peele. So we haven't really seen anything of, of the game. We won't see anything about OD probably for a little while. So I would, don't be too concerned about it right now. Just let's see what this game actually is and, and what it does. Mm-hmm. If it really does rely on the cloud, you know, um, there's so many questions and it's Kojima. He's going to tease. He's going to um, throw little nuggets of information. He's going to try to take us off the, you know, off off the actual scent of what the actual game is. We're probably, there's going to be a lot of that. So I wouldn't worry too much about OD at this point. Then had a $10 donation from Leon S. Kennedy. Chips will not be able to go much smaller than one nanometer, slowly advances in computing power. The next big step will likely be a hybrid with quantum computing complementing binary computing. How can quantum computing improve the gaming experience? Oh, I am not prepared to answer this question. I don't even know what quantum computing is, Nate. Do you know what it is? I mean, you're the developer here. <laughs> yeah. Um, I tell you what, I'll, uh, let me re- read into this a little bit and uh, we'll bump that to the next episode. I will, I'll, I will answer the the question in the next episode. I, uh, I don't really know enough about quantum computing to really formulate a response at this time. Yeah. But quantum break is a good mm, game that you a, should play. It is a great game. Then we had a dollar donation from Infinite Inspiration. Hello, gentlemen. With the lines between console generations continuously being blurred, do you think the inevitable Metal Gear Solid 2 or Metal Gear Solid Master Collection Volume 2 will be on Switch or be exclusive to the new Nintendo console? Have a Merry Christmas. What do you think? 
really will just come down to timing for the Master Collection Volume 2. Let's say if it's coming out in 2024, maybe I would go as far as 2025. I would say it has a reasonable chance of coming to the current Switch. Any later than that, I would say it would end up being an exclusive to the Switch successor as far as Nintendo systems go. It could easily be a cross-generation release, depending on how Konami wants to play it. But it's hard to say at the moment without having some sort of insight into the plans that Konami would have for a Metal Gear Solid Master Collection Volume 2. But assuming the games are as the leaks would have implied, be it Metal Gear Solid 4, Metal Gear Rising, things like that, there would be nothing preventing it from running on a current-gen Switch. I agree with everything you said. Then had a $100 donation from Sketchdog, whom this episode is dedicated to, and they write, Happy Holidays and Happy New Year, Nate and MVG. What's your most wanted but unannounced video game project that you think has a realistic chance of being revealed in 2024? Oh my god. Unannounced. Well, it's probably going to be the next 3D Mario game from Nintendo, if I was to say. Um, what would I go with? Unannounced, but has a realistic chance. Um, I mean, I'd probably go with Gears of War 6. I like it. I think that's what I would go with. I mean, 3D Mario is also a good one. Then had a dollar donation from Liam Werner. What are your thoughts on the completionist charity scandal situation? Oh, well, my thoughts are that, first of all, I don't know Gerard, um, but I do know that Limited Run Games, a company I work for, has been featured on Indie Land a few times. Their games have been featured on there. I've seen clips of the LRG logo on there. And I will say that, personally, I am very, very saddened about everything that's happened there. Um, Gerard appeared to be someone that was a very uh, stand-up kind of guy. Um, It appeared as though he was doing a lot of really good things for the community, the industry. And unfortunately, obviously with everything that's happened, and I'm going to just use the word allegations at at this time, um it seems like there was a lot that we didn't really know uh, was going on behind the scenes as far as, you know, holding on to a substantial amount of money and only donating it once he had a fire lit under him. So my, my thoughts are, I think the industry um, is better off without him, to be honest with you. There are people out there. uh, There are charities, there are organizations out there that, will do exactly what um, they are supposed to do when, you know, you donate money to and they will get them to the organizations that need help very, very quickly. So, you know, for me, um, I'm just, I'm just very, very saddened by the whole thing that, you know, 
this kind of pillar of the industry uh, that we were led to believe was a stand-up individual ended up, you know, just not being a good person in the end. And honestly, I uh, I don't think that he has a place in the video game industry any longer. And I really don't have anything else to say on the matter. I too do not know Gerard. I never watched the content, never interacted with the individual. But the situation surrounding the charity is, as you said, it's a very sad situation. This is an individual who used his standing as an influencer, as a content creator, and that imagery of being a supportive, happy, good guy to manipulate an audience, to Mm -hmm. make donations, and continue to mislead them by saying, the money you have donated goes directly to these charity organizations that we have helped individuals get the help they need so the research can be done. And we've donated to this charity and then a laundry list of charities being mentioned only to find out that no such donation was ever made. And when an individual of this stature is exposed as manipulating their audience and as far as you were mentioning, even manipulating indie developers like LRG. Yeah to make donations and support these fundraisers, it really makes you stop and question a lot of the parasocial relationships that the current social media environment perpetuates. You don't know the intent of anyone online. And it kind of goes back to the old saying of anyone can smile in front of a camera. Anyone can be who you, who they think you want them to be when the camera's on. It's the person that they are when the camera's off that matters. And when you take donations for 10 years and mislead your followers for that long, you have to wonder who is the individual? Was it the person on camera smiling to the audience and being that? happy-go-lucky guy or was there something else there so when you really view the charity scandal as a whole it's very sad because this disrupts any charity drive or fundraiser that anyone could potentially put forward in the future absolutely if you and i decided one day to start a charity people should immediately be suspicious of our intent because he has now poisoned that well. Yep. At how, how or why should anyone trust us after what Gerard has done? Yeah, it's, it's just very, very sad on, on all fronts, you know, as from people that have donated money. Um, I know there are people that have donated money and are very, very upset about what's happened. There are developers, indie developers that are probably unhappy or upset that there is no more indie land. That platform has been, well, I mean, it's it's not gone from 2024, but there's probably a good likelihood that we're not going to see that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, indie developers need a platform to show off their games and having their games on a, on a live stream where there are literally thousands of people pl- watching is a, is a, a fantastic platform to have. And 
you know, also from, you know, Gerard and um, his organization themselves. I mean, they completely mishandle this situation. And, I, you know, I, I don't mess my words around, you know, I think Gerard's a scumbag. I mean, he's done scumbag things here. This is not something that, that I feel like he can come back from. Like, he has been exposed. He has been, you know, proven to be someone that is untrustworthy with charity uh, donations, which, like you said, um, really needs to get in the hands of the people that need help and, and, and the research, you know, as quickly as possible. This is not something that you can sit on for 10 years and say, oh, it's no big deal. The money's still there. I mean, at the end of the day, you were entrusted to take care of something. You know, you you had a lot of people that that followed you and donated money um, mm-hmm. to entrust you that you would do the right thing, and you didn't do it. And then when you did, it was clearly because you had a, a fire lit under your ass. And at the end of the day, you don't really have anything else, you know, Going forward, you don't have a platform. You don't really belong um, as someone that, you know, can run a charity going forward. And I personally don't think you belong in the video game industry anymore. You should try to find another grift somewhere else. And see, that's the thing is you collected this money over the last 10 years and the money is worth less today than it would have been had you donated it when you claimed to have been making the donations. Because six hundred thousand dollars in twenty twenty three, yes, it's still a lot of money. But had you been donating the hundred thousand dollars from prior years, in those years, it was worth a hundred thousand dollars then. That hundred thousand dollars is worth less today. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to be as impactful. And I mean, my great grandmother had Alzheimer's. My grandmother had dementia. Yep. So I could say this, you know, does impact me on a personal level. And to see an individual claiming to be raising money for such things and then not giving the money when they say they are is very hurtful. It's very misleading. It's just a bad situation overall. Yeah. It's... There is no way to come out of this and look good or say this was an oversight. This wasn't an oversight. This is something that's done with intent. And that's what this was. This was an intentional, tactical act. This wasn't a situation of, oh, we just keep forgetting. You, you don't forget. You, if you're continually doing fundraisers and you're continually raising money, how are you forgetting to do the one thing that your goal is, which is donate? Absolutely. Absolutely there, right. Like there's no excuse for what happened here. Yeah. And like I said, I have no relationship with the guy and there's, there's no defense. Yep. It's just an outright shame. Something like this happened. And you really do have to question the parasocial relationship with anybody at the end of the day, you'd have a lot of people who are giving money to Gerard who as viewers, as subscribers, because they felt as though he's a friend. 
we community, you know, he's able to share his content and I enjoy it. And maybe he interacts with me in the comment section. Maybe he interacts with me on Twitter or at a convention. So you feel that bond with the individual. But at the end of the day, is that bond even genuine? Right. And that's also what this kind of exposed. Again, you can smile on the camera. It doesn't mean that person knows you, respects you, is your friend. It just means they're smiling for the camera. Yep, exactly. It's an act. I think the last thing I want to say about this is, look, there are a lot of causes that you can donate money to directly. You know, the Trevor Project, the Ronald McDonald House, Doctors Without Borders. There are millions of them out there. Literally, you can just just donate directly to them. You don't have to go through some type of, you know, um, foundation. Just just donate money directly is the best way. Tiltify.com is a great website. You can literally just, you know, send money to anyone you want. Uh, or you can just send them directly. It's really uh, up to you. But I would be very, very cautious. And you're right, Nate. You brought up a good point about how, you know, uh, if you and I were going to start a charity, people would be um, questioning it. Well, yeah, they should be questioning it because uh, after you know what what Gerard has done, I think there is a lot of people that are you know suspicious of, of things like that now. But look, at the end of the day, if you want if you want to donate money, and you should donate money if you have uh, money to spare, of course, you know for a cause, um, just go directly to the source. You don't need to go through some intermediary third party that's literally just going to sit mm-hmm. on your money for ten years. Yep. Yeah, very, very disappointing situation all around, especially to those who were impacted by his inaction. Because who knows how much more research could have been done? Who knows how many more lives could have been bettered had the money gone there when he claimed it was going? Those are the victims here, as well as all the people he misled for years Mm -hmm. and years and years. Then had a follow-up question from Liam Warner with a dollar donation. If the Switch 2 is backwards compatible, do we find that out when Nintendo reveals it right away? Or do you think there's a chance we'll have to wait longer? I think when Nintendo announces the new system, and we we feel pretty confident it's going to be this year, they will let us know whether it will be backwards compatible backward compatible at that time yeah i think it would just be kind of a spec sheet list would have just mentioned backwards compatibility that's not going to be something they go intentionally out of their way to make mention of in any presentation or such would be something that you'd find in a press release following the official reveal but yeah i would imagine it would be the same day as the announcement reveal itself of the hardware our final Streamlabs question for this week comes from OS209, who donated $1.69. The T239 was the rumored chip from a 2020 leak. Given it's been a few years since, it's likely not that exact chip anymore, but a more powerful chip or version now. Thoughts? Ah, uh, You go ahead, Nate, and talk about this. Look, this 239 stuff we've talked about before. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything to say about this. What What do you think? 
I mean, a chip can always evolve in some way, but I would say the core portion of T239 that leaked is likely still what we're going to end up getting. There can be some variations, some changes here and there based on what the client specifications were, but it takes a long time to build an SOC. It won't differ in any radical way. So it should still remain T239. We have a general idea of what this chip is capable of in terms of features and such, and that should be what we are getting here. There can be some adjustments, but as we've said in previous episodes, the SOC built by NVIDIA for Nintendo for the Switch successor is a custom SOC, so it will have things that Nintendo specifically requested and NVIDIA built to those specifications. But I think that's the simplest way to really address that question and this topic. But that is the final Streamlabs question for this week. Once again, this episode is dedicated to Sketchdog. If you'd like to support the channel, we have a Streamlabs link in the description below. Donate any dollar amount, ask a question. We will answer it at the end of the episode. Donate $100 or more and we will dedicate the episode to you. Once again, this episode is dedicated to Sketchdog. And with that, I'd like to thank MVG for joining me as always. So it's a pleasure, Nate. I'm looking forward to a really awesome 2024. So uh, great, great episode. And let us know your thoughts in the comment section below on what you expect from Xbox in 2024. If you're looking forward to the impending Xbox Developer Direct, if you like the idea of Microsoft bringing some of their first party games to other platforms, and what you expect from Microsoft in the calendar year in terms of announcements, releases, and just general reveals. But until next time, continue to embrace the hate.